Hello, welcome to Adam vs. the Man. Today is Thursday, May 27, 2021. And it is the Thursday of Memorial Day weekend. Air travel is booming. Americans ready to pretend like COVID's not a thing. Karen's, I gotta warn you though. Not only is the virus still out there, so are the Karens. And we have nothing else to say about COVID today. I promise we were it's we did our Monday block, we did our Wednesday block. COVID will be back on the air on Monday. Until then, you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we got some news about that. We got to be, it's all about the money. Thursdays tend to be financially oriented shows. I don't know why. Saving those stories got to pile up over the week. But we have a huge pile. Huge. Trump is still more fun than Biden, even when he's not president. And I do not say this in order. I'm just saying. There, there were a few silver linings of the Trump presidency. Entertainment value was one of them. We got a huge block on economics today. We're going to talk about the dollar. We're talking about Jeff Bezos. Of course, we're talking about Elon Musk. All sorts of good stuff. We got a military and racism block with our co-host, Steve Remus, joining us in the co-host chair for the first time. And uh, Ed Vallejo, also veteran and Battle Buddies, former Battle Buddies board member, going to be joining us along with Homefront Battle Buddies Executive Director, wow, uh, Jim Freedom, our executive producer, how about that? But at the top of the hour, we're going to get through the financial block, and we, we're going to talk about Homefront Battle Buddies a little bit. Uh, there's a new story today, though. Now, this is kind of interesting. I didn't know this happened. Did you know this happened? The military recently had a stand-down day to discuss racism. So as veterans who are nostalgic and, you know, Back in my day, we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna have a little stand down day from having a headline guest to talk about racism and a little military panel. So we got that fun today, and and I know I have to tease this topic again. Okay, I don't know who Demi Lovato is. I genuinely don't know anything about her, but I know that it's, it's a beautiful the name. name. It's a beautiful it. name. It's I'm sure it's a stage. Is as it a, if it's a real name, you know. Hey, good parents, good job. Uh, Demi Lovato. It's a beautiful, beautiful name. I don't know. I, I, she's a singer. I, I know that because I think I read it today. <laughs> so she can't. I'm going to we're going to come back. This, if we get back to this story at the end of the show. Um, and I, I, Pierce Morgan. Like, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not a fan of Piers Morgan is an arrogant statist celebrity prick like a gun grabber extraordinaire advocate for gun grabbing blah 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 et cetera, et cetera. um but this time he skewers celebrity culture this is i don't know i don't know about demi I, she could be a great person this could be entire like this could be like an entirely bad moment for Piers morgan to say this but what he said is a brilliant skewering of this kind of Personal sex is it, can can we call it personal sexploitation for celebrity gain? Is that so? Yeah. Piers Morgan said to this on Twitter: "Some personal news. I am proud to let you know that I identify as an annoying, attention-seeking celebrity. This has come after a lot of self-reflective work, but it's my true and lived experience." <laughs> I said, we'll get into that. We'll go ahead and be like last last story on the show today. After after we follow the money and all the important stuff. And we have a guest, Libertarian candidate, uh, Jeffrey Metric joins us at 940. So in about an hour and 35 minutes, Libertarian candidate running for Congressional District 6. 
It doesn't say what state. What state is Jeffrey Metric in? <laughs> anyway, yes, he is <laughs> LP candidate for Congress, which is I, I, we need an army. I mean, really. Uh, and, and, and this is the time. I haven't mentioned this for a while. We've been kind of off electoral politics recently and electoral activism. The LP actually enjoys the offseason of going back to like, you know, remember when like state legislators, legislatures only met like 30 days a year, 60 days a year. There's some states that some do that where they still do that. And in order to be a, a, a state rep, you have to have a life outside of being a state rep. Libertarians are really good at having lives outside of being elected to office because we don't get elected to office very often. Jim Freedom guest is, oh, 6th District in Arizona. Oh, it's that, Jeff. Excellent. We'll be talking to Jeffrey Metric. That Jeffrey Metric. 940 Congressional District 6 here in Arizona. We don't have very many. But uh, this is the time. If you're eligible, if you are what are the what are the criteria for running? Twenty five years of age and American. Uh, I'm I'm going to Google criteria for U.S. Congress. Okay, the Constitution requires that members of the House be at least twenty five years old. And remember, this was before we started stunting our children's growth with hormones in government schools. So, like most people, when they wrote this document, were like ready to adult. At age 25, I know it's scary, not really the case anymore. But yes, to be a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, 25 years old, and be a U.S. citizen for at least seven years and live in the state, though not necessarily the same district, that you would be representing in Congress. That's it. You meet those criteria, fucking run as a libertarian. If you, if you really like, and you can do this from on, on anywhere. Here's my pitch today. It's been a while since I've done this. The run for office is a libertarian, but Congress, U.S. Congress, we don't have even paper candidates in every U.S. House race for the Libertarian Party. That is a shame. How dare we call, their, call ourselves America's third largest party or America's largest third party, whatever. We're not even raising a full slate of candidates for the U.S. Congress. It's a lot. It's a big it's a free country after all. No, it's a big country, not necessarily a free one, but it's a big country. 435 seats in the U.S. Congress. Not that, 435 races. Not that hard for us to run someone in every race because, and you, you, should, you should never run to lose. You should always run when you run for office like this. I mean, unless it's some real weird off the, off the bat, you know, stunt kind of, candidacy but you should be running to win you should be ready to win and not committed to that because you can run with whatever effort is appropriate for you and it's still better by a long shot than not having a libertarian in that race so the spectrum of involvement is from like full bore i'm going to campaign every day and make this a full-time job and that's kind of what i did i was pretty close to that when i ran for and that i was a ron paul republican oh. Uh, yeah, briefly. I was already an LP lifetime member, so I don't hold it against me. Please. But there's there's that full bore, like, I am going to run, and I'm going to make it my job, and I'm going to take it as the most serious endeavor in my life, and I'm going to put my work and maybe family on hold to take this shot, right? There's, there's, and I'm going to borrow money, and I'm going to mortgage the house, I'm going to, like, 
And I, I invested most of my savings when I ran for Congress. I mean, I came out of it broke-ish, you know. Um, but you don't have to do that. The other, Because the other end of the spectrum is file the paperwork, uh, put up a website, do a couple interviews, maybe a debate. And that's it. Like, you know, they're different versions. I mean, you don't even have to do that. Like, it's it's still, in some cases, and, and there's a bit of a debate within the LP, that it's better to just have a name. Just put liber- your name, file for, just file. Literally, just a paper candidate. All you do is file to run. That's fine. Because at least then people in that district have an option to vote for a libertarian for Congress. If you don't step up and give them that. That voice of liberty is silenced! At least for that one critical moment. For those few people in that one congressional district. <laughs> okay, that being said, so we have Jeffrey joining us. We have our co-host today, Steve, who's, who's running as well. Um, what's, wait, we talked to him Monday. He's not running for anything right now. He was. Right, was he? He's not. He needs that. Yes. Um, we have Ed Vallejo who's going to be joining us. I've done enough promos. I've done enough plugs. Let's get producer Jim Freedom up here for producer notes. What's going on? Good morning to you. I just, it's funny because I just realized today when you said it that I'm a double executive. I'm the executive producer of this show <laughs> and the executive director of Home Battle Buddies. I'm, I'm a double executive. That's I feel <laughs> put on a tie or something. Executive <laughs> square. We we gave you two executive titles because we knew your fragile ego needed that kind of you know. Yeah, I needed boost. that boost. Yeah, I appreciate that. You guys really keep me going. <laughs> Just so people know, titularly. Jim is the executive producer responsible for the daily production of the show and everything that falls under production is Jim's responsibility. And then as executive director of the nonprofit Homefront Battle Buddies, we have a board of directors that we're putting together this weekend. We have a, a team of three founding board members so that we can have the paperwork legit going at it. But uh, Jim as the executive is in charge of the practical operations on the board. We just tell them what to do. Yeah. Good, yeah. good, good gig for me. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Good times. Uh, so join us to public Telegram channel. You know what Telegram is. I'm sure you've heard of it. Join us there, t.me forward slash Adam versus the man. All kinds of stuff getting posted in there even during the show. And uh, I haven't said it in a while, but all of the links for every show we do are in that public Telegram channel. So if you miss anything or there's something we didn't cover or something you wanted to get more into, that's where you can find every link to everything we cover in the show. T.me forward slash Adam versus the man. We also have a private producers club membership uh, that's a little bit cooler. Uh, we talk a little bit more yeah. shit in that group. So if you want to be a part of that, you either got to win a contest, which Steve is going to bring up to you when he comes on, or you can just visit our Patreon and buy your way in. We got one, five, ten, and fifty dollar a month packages for our Patreon. $10 a month is where it's at. That'll get you access to the private producers club, which you can then use to join the private producers club and get 15% off of everything you buy at the merch at the store. So definitely check that out and take advantage. Uh, one of our other uh, discounts we offer is for cigar federation. You can go to cigarfederation.com, uh, order up any of their exotically flavored cigars that they have on their website and use promo code Adam one zero and that's going to get you 10% off of your entire order. So definitely check out CigarFederation.com and use that promo code to take advantage of that deal. 
after you're done with that, give your eyes some leisure and some relaxation by visiting Instagram and checking out at the Garden of Freedom. Uh, plenty of beautiful pictures and videos. I'm surprised I don't see the one of the moonrise in Gardenia yet, but I'm sure that'll be there by tomorrow. So wait, wait, didn't I? Did I not post that this morning? I don't see I it on there. Distracted. Yep. You I, may have I had a really cool shot. Joey helped me. We have a picture of of the moonrise as it's happening and it with a three minute exposure it looks like an eerie sunrise it's really cool See, but it but is in the producer's club so i said it to the producer it is in the, the producer's club. club right away as like proof like here yeah that's <laughs> that picture there that is the moon rise thank you jim <laughs> Good, 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 good executive producer. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta get it to, I gotta get the content to the people somehow. <laughs> so that'll be up on Instagram at the Garden of Freedom. So definitely check that out and uh, keep yourself involved with everything that's going on up there in Gardenia. Uh, after that, our guest yesterday told you all about the Crypto Six. So it should be saved in your bookmarks by now. So you can just keep going back there every time your crypto goes up. You can spend some of it helping these guys out with their legal fees through these QR codes, donating crypto. Uh, this button right here, right to those still in cages. That's an excellent link. You can contribute to our guest yesterday's GoFundMe here. All kinds of links on the Crypto6.com. So check that out and help those guys out and do everything you can. And then lastly, we got the best website on the planet for doing it yourself, going off grid, going solar power, micro wind power. That's GoGreenEnergyOnline.com. Uh, visit that website, do all the reading you need to do and educate yourself on all things solar and wind and zero energy homes. And then uh, get to doing it yourself and get yourself set up off, off grid with GoGreenEnergyOnline.com. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Oh, oh, I caught it. I caught it. Oh, I don't know if you noticed what happened off the air there, but while Jim was doing promos, I realized that I hadn't had my COVID vitamins. I was like, I can sneak a token. And then he got me on screen and then it made me sneeze. And you know what? I love, I, this is like, this is my, my health curse. And it's, I'm just learning finally as an adult to talk about it. Um, <laughs> even though like I've gone through multiple, um, you know, injection therapy, immunotherapy treatment sessions, but but I, today, I while Jim was doing the promos, I was going to sneeze. And I, I did, but I caught it. And I've learned how to clench so hard. <laughs> I can not only hold my sneezes in, but when I do it right, it pops my back. <laughs> does does anybody, anybody else done that? Did you ever tell the sneeze? I mean, I'm pretty, like, physically active. I do yoga. I stretch. And when I stretch... Like I have this technique where I, I lean forward, I grab my own ankles and I pull. So it's stretching my spine as if you were hanging, right? I can pop my back like that. And it's like that. But now sometimes if, I, if I'm going to sneeze really, really hard and I let it go, but I clench really hard and hold it in. My, and I did that just now. That is All right, let's get, let's, let's get Steve Remus. All right. Co-host up on stage here for the first time in the co-host chair. Good morning, Steve. How you doing, brother? What's going on, man? I'm doing good. Are you excited for this weekend? I am. We got Homefront back. This is it. And like, this is this is a private event. You know, we don't we don't we're not trying to like promote it. We don't want to we don't want to tease it too much to people in the audience or even veterans who aren't involved. But they should know that what we are doing here is launching a nonprofit 
And as a federal nonprofit, you know, we have to adhere to federal law and in, in order to maintain that corporate status that allows us to take donations as tax deductible contributions. So you can pay less than taxes. You can provide in-kind contributions. We want to leverage this to the maximum effect to do that. And the mission of the organization is to create a community of veterans through online organizing and in-person retreats to assist each other in pursuing alternative healing therapies and transitioning to civilian life. And you know, there's a very important distinction there. The organization is just the facilitator helping veterans help each other. So we're not we're not doing anything with anything illegal. Of course not. But we are creating a safe space for anything that veterans might want to do, helping each other out. And here in Gardenia, 10 acres off grid. Um, and we are going to be able to talk about these things somewhat openly because of this legal protection. And yes, we want to get vets stoned in the woods or help vets get each other stoned in the woods. And uh, Steve, it's it's uh, it's an honor to have you in, involved in this and and uh, and, and uh, to be a part of this project. So, but hey, before we go any further, because it's 17 minutes, I'm kind of stalling on today's show. Today's show is like full of the. Uh, there are a couple of stories where it's like, eat your fucking vegetables, you know? <laughs> like, uh, no, no, no. We gotta talk. We gotta talk about the dollar. We gotta get talk nerdy to me. We're gonna we're gonna get into uh, inflation and Federal Reserve stuff. But Steve has a really cool comment contest. So let's go. All right. Yeah. So comment contest. Uh, what is the most outrageous thing you would do to get into the producers club or to be a guest on Adam vs. the Man? And we may or may not ask you to prove it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. You could win the contest. With a really good joke that you never plan on following through. But if we do call on you to follow through during today's show, the second half could get very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, this is like the first half of the show, the next shit, we're down to 41 minutes in the first hour here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to manage this. This econ block, I don't know, Steve, uh, you, you saw the show notes this morning. Yes. I mean, our, our first story is the demise of the dollar question mark. Yeah, we're, it's like eat the frog. We're getting into that big shit right now. Yeah, that, um, that started 100 years ago. So we're. <laughs> well, we're, Steve, we're fine. Uh, to, to sort of set the stage for this, if, 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 if you would, can because I know anybody who comes out of military service. Anybody who comes out of the military, the U.S. military, there's no fucking service except bankers, politicians, and war profiteers. Anybody who comes out of the military has to have some kind of mixed feelings about this. And nobody, I mean, even if you come out and you're like relatively pro-military, relatively pro-war, you're going to have, it's, it's complex. There's no fucking way, right? Yeah. And you saw the money. Everybody saw the fucking money. Everybody. Like, and they, I don't want to say they rubbed our faces in it, but in Iraq, where I was at least, everybody at some point saw a pallet of $100 bills. Yeah. Did you see one? Uh, yeah, I saw, so I saw pallets of money. Um, but I, So I don't know what's worse, seeing the pallets of money or hearing the contractors brag about <laughs> Yeah, yeah right? I used to, I used to, yeah, I would describe the Blackwater guys. We had, as the ones oh who whatever they wanted with high-speed gear, really cool rifles, 
driving around in up-armored SUVs, staying in the air-conditioned hooches over there on the other side of base while we're fucking suffering. And you're like, yeah, I'm coming back as a contractor. And a lot of guys do. <laughs> well, that's, that was the thing, right? They're like, oh, man, screw this. I'm going to come back as a contractor so I can make money. And I was like, you know, hindsight, we were all stupid. Like, that's a horrible idea. Like, that was a horrible idea. But seeing seeing people doing the same thing that you're doing and making four times the money and then only being there for like four months, leaving for three months, coming back for four months, bragging, yeah. that, they, bragging that they went like all across Europe for three months. Like, screw you, dude. Like, so like just enraging and jealous and just yeah pretty early on in these conflicts the occupations of iraq and afghanistan there was widespread deployment of security contractors to the yeah. point where i mean within the by the time i was i was there in 2004 Fallujah, and that was like sort of the last hot spot in iraq following the invasion right and even the, like remember my uh, the crux of my iraq story is that in February of 2004, four Blackwater security agents drove across the southern bridge over the Euphrates River into the city of Fallujah and were ambushed and pulled out of their vehicles and had their bodies strung up and burned on the northern bridge. Yep. And I was like, oh, not <laughs> all those fuckers. Too. They're doing yeah. it. It wasn't just. And it was like, I mean, there were so many problems with that story. I'll, I'll save it for when I'm promoting my book, my war memoir, in order to launch the home front battle buddies publishing platform by the way steve one of the things we're going to be talking about this weekend i'm really excited about is developing home front battle buddies kind of a side project but very much in line supporting the main mission is for home front battle buddies to be a veterans publishing company a nonprofit veteran veterans publishing company to help oh, we'll get, write, write their memoirs and oh, we'll, get some, we'll get some finally we'll get some actual stories not these fluff not these fluff novels, all right? Like, we need some actual, like, average military, like, what what was going to war like in Baghdad when you were 19, Steve? Well, honestly, I thought it was a lot like Tucson, Arizona until people started shooting at me. So, you know, like, a little bit different. But if I, go to, if I go to South Tucson, probably the same thing, you know? Like, it's, it's uh, an important task of historical revisionism, because right now the history that we know of Iraq and Afghanistan, U.S. military conflicts, is written by motherfuckers like Bing What's-His-Face, who ghost wrote the fake war stories for Dakota Meyer, who, who one was selected to be awarded a Medal of Honor so that he could be turned into a propaganda tool for the war effort. No, the real stories need to come out, not just in the, you know, the actual isolated incidents, but what is good, what we are going to be revealing is that the, the texture of the war, the reality of the war, the thorough top to bottom, what was being done by troops on the ground, it, it, it's, it's worse than you thought, America. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. That's it's sad that still needs to be faced up to. But, you know, I, sometimes I think about us launching Homefront Battle Buddies in 2021 going, fuck, are we late? Is this still relevant? And you go, yeah, especially even more so post-COVID with what vets have gone through 
and 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 the the challenges for those for those vets who are struggling for, with the kind of mental health issues where the isolation and limitations with COVID uh, are, are having a profound impact. And for a lot, of, there are a lot of vets out there pre-COVID. I I I don't have a good sense of this yet, and I and I hope this weekend. One of the things we're going to be talking about at our business meetings is examining current needs within the veterans community and, and, and you know, looking at the demographics. But from what I knew of veterans pre-COVID, there were a lot of vets who were living comfortably poor on 70% to 100% disability. And 70%, I'm on 70%. I'm professionally crazy and I get about 1500 bucks a month. And that would be, and I live off grid. It's like, I, I, I could live, I own my home here. You know, I'm very fortunate. I can live very, very comfortably. I can pay my cell phone bill and food and cat food and dog food, right? $1,500 a month. Yeah. Some guys on hundred percent are getting $3,000 and that's, that's great for them. That full medical, you know, disability retirement, you know, more power to them for getting that. But for a lot, my understanding, my sense with the community is that a lot of those dudes were that were, were, who didn't have they, they didn't have a job. Obviously, if they didn't have regular volunteer work, I mean, they were living comfortable, happy lives of transition and rebuilding. Right? They're going to therapy. They're hanging out. They're doing some self education. Maybe going to classes. They don't have a job that, that or a career yet, in, you know, post military that pulls them through. And then COVID, and then they're isolated, and yeah. and that's that's where you see a lot of suicide. Well, and a lot of guys going well. Now there's no hope of rebuilding something else, and yeah, and, and a lot of people don't appreciate when when we talk about these bigger demographic trends and COVID issues on on in the media, it's it you you have to stop and put yourself in an individual's shoes for a second because for the vet who. You know, his girlfriend is dealing with some shit because their parents are dealing with some shit because of COVID and it pushes their relationship over the edge. That vet, and she blames him because she said something mean when they broke up, right? Just yeah. one thought. And, and that guy isn't going, oh, it's just COVID. Everybody's suffering. He's going, man, I guess I'm a piece of shit because I couldn't hold on to that one, right? And, okay. and it's, it's experiences like that. And, and, I hope that a part of what we're able to do with Adam versus the man is, is connect your experiences, whether you're a veteran or anybody else who's, who's suffering under the hands of government or whatever we, part of, you know, the human experience that requires a little anesthesia from now and then is, uh, um, that's a queen front man. Fuck. Why can't I remember? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Freddie quote. Mercury. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Freddie. Uh, my apologies in your memory that it took me a second to remember your name there. But Freddie Mercury said, you know, the human condition is one that sometimes requires a little anesthetic. Uh, and I, I, I don't want you when you experience that to feel alone. And it's one of the most dangerous things about COVID is not just this negativity or that negativity or, more suicides or job loss or the economics or evictions or anything like that. It's that most Americans, I say everybody, everybody on earth right now, because what we are experiencing is a surge of humans being led one way or another to be afraid of each other. Your droplets are toxic. Yeah. It's, no. it's... Oh, as a whole, we all 
feel a lot more alone right now. And especially for vets, at least with Home Front Battle Buddies, we want to be able to let every veteran in America know you are not alone in going through this. And, and hopefully what we build this weekend is, is going to be the seed uh, of what can bring my vision here and these providing these services and having this impact uh, to, to make it available for every veteran in America. And it's to empower those voices to speak out beyond ideology. Nobody likes war. Can we yeah. make this the last generation of combat veterans that the world ever knows? I think we can. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like when uh, it's funny that we we're it's not really funny that we have this conversation, but I was having this conversation with a good friend of mine, and she was like, we were talking about loneliness, and I was like, you know, I'm like it's 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 I was working, you know, the company I was working for last year, they switched to remote work from home, and they like I don't I don't need to be socially isolated, <laughs> right? I'm a very social person, and you took like. The one thing that I'm very good at, that I'm very comfortable with, is taken away. And it's like, well, shoot, now, now what am I supposed to do? Because <clears throat> Zoom meetings uh, and Zoom parties, which became a thing, Zoom don't, parties. they don't work. They do not <laughs> work. Humans, humans require a deeper understanding and connection. And all this last year has done has pushed us further away. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I, I want to say that, you know, with, well, with technology, like this is not anti-technology at all, right? This is just an under, this, this comes from an understanding of the human condition. Yeah. That, that we are built, programmed, not only as a communal species. And this is really important to remind libertarians of. I really hate the quick, quick rhetorical sidebar here. By the way, Ed, if you're watching comments and you want to pop more up while we're on this ramble, go ahead. Because Steve is not able to do both at the same time. But uh, I, I, so my sidebar here is there's this libertarians present sometimes this dichotomy between individualism and collectivism. Like it's collectivism versus individualism. And it's like, no, it's voluntary collectivism versus forced collectivism. Collectivism is the reality of the human experience. We are a collective species. Yeah. Let's not for let's not pervert that with the state. Let's not pervert that with coercion. Let's celebrate that by embracing self-ownership and the non-aggression principle. And this is why I like voluntarism, because it it just you know, you can say individual you can describe libertarianism as the individual perspective. It's me, I own myself, and therefore you all, everything else, the universe must respect me. And it's like that's one side of the coin. The other of, of ethics manifest. The other side is in relationships. That's why I like voluntarism as a better analysis. It's more relevant to say human relationships should be voluntary exchanges of love and time and energy and, and goods and, and material services and everything else free of force, fraud, and coercion. So that's Ed saying there's no word. I guess the audience is so engaged. There's not that many comments here. But anyway, it's an interesting topic, right? It's, we, like I could sit here all day long and discuss <laughs> this. And that's like, that's a good thing, but it's also sort of a bad thing because. Right. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to some useful shit, Steve. Let me finish this one, this one other big point about technology and then get to the question I've actually been trying to ask you for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, so. Um, 
the thing with technology, this is not anti-technology. If you think about cell phones or just the telephone, remote voice connection has empowered humans who by necessity need to live in physically different areas for economic security, productivity, food, et cetera, et cetera, housing, whatever, are now able to be mentally, emotionally, everything that you can get connection by voice. Beautiful, powerful. Video, next level, but not anywhere near the substitute for even what we already commonly, irrefutably understand in human communication that happens like you were talking about at an in-person party versus a Zoom party. There's the there's the energy and you like you can say, hey, that doesn't matter. Like I'm a scientist. I don't and, and I get it. Okay, but there's an energy in the room, there's a heat, there's a vibration, there, there there's an energy of love when humans come together. There's music in the air. There's no way that your body is not aware of that, that has some psychological impact. But there's also what we know scientifically about so much of human communication being nonverbal. And I can wave my hands and, you know, and, and make fun of faces on a podcast, but it's not the same uh, full experience that we get enjoy, and need. And now you can say, well, Adam, you know, and I'm, I'm all for this. We could have like VR headsets and virtual reality parties where you walk around in a 3D space and interact and it feels like, you, okay, cool, better, still not touch. And yeah. there's something about human touch and we haven't, there's no substitute. You know, at some point, yeah, we're going to upload our brains into machines and that won't be relevant and who knows, we'll figure out right? like, yeah, you can touch this and we'll have different touch therapy that's hygienic and robotic and whatever, maybe. Maybe, but right now, that's a ways off. And I'm a big optimist in that, like, these major leaps are coming in the, like, you know, 5, 10, 20 year period. But right now, you, you fuck people up if you take away touch. You fuck people up if you take away face to face interaction. You fuck people up if you make them all wear masks and afraid of each other because they have to think that their fellow human beings are toxic, that your droplets are a biohazard. And it is, that is the measure. Uh, of of this uh, unseen cost of the cure being worse than the disease with COVID. Uh, psychic taxi, pheromones are a big deal with humans. We need to smell each other. Very true. And you know what? Totally subconscious for most people. Yep. Totally. But yeah, like you think about it with a lover, maybe the smells of someone you share a bed with. Smells powerful to the memory. Memory, especially, you know. So, Steve, let's see, can't copy the soul they want to, but no dice. Thank you, UT23881. Steve, the question I wanted to ask you, though, was to, to transition back to money here. Was that what What was the connection you made with your military service and at some point going, fuck, they're just using me to make money? So, I think, you know, I talked last time about my service in the Pentagon. The thing that the thing that I think ultimately clicked over where I was just a figure that generated money for someone else. And now it's stuck with me, right? This this concept is stuck with me is I was at the Pentagon. I had just got my master's degree. And one of the officers in the, the NMCC watch cell told me to do something and I knew he was wrong. And I was like, 
I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about this. Like, I think you're wrong. Right. And I spoke my mind and then it was, everyone else was like, we're going to do his thing anyways. And I was like, but I'm the, I'm the expert. Like, this is a thing I've done for 12 years. I'm the <laughs> expert. Right. And, and I was like, Oh, it doesn't matter if I'm an expert. Right. They're going to do the thing that generates a response that requires resources and money and that's that's what's going to happen that's that's always what's going to happen doesn't matter if i'm the expert and i go no we can do this and it saves money they go cool man go sit in the corner <laughs> go take your expertise and sit in the corner and write papers and be smart and <clears throat> you know, we we want to make money okay mr scientist <laughs> yeah i guess that's essentially what it is they're like they're like, all right, guy with research and knowledge, get out of here. And I'm like, all right, well, fine. I'll take my ball and I'll leave. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. All right, remind everybody the contest because we we got we started fun. Wait, hold on. We got heavy. We're getting we're gonna get heavy again. Uh, but you know, I got while you're here, we got one more headline before we get into the economics block. Uh, just general world news, France24.com has this headline, Limnic Eruption. Limnic, L-I-M-N-I-C, new word for me. Limnic Eruption, DR Congo's Volcanic Nightmare. That's Democratic Republic. <laughs> They're now shorting it to DR Congo. Like, yeah, Dr. Con Dr. I, Congo. Someone, <laughs> some rapper, seriously, seriously, please come out with a decent album now as Dr. Congo, <laughs> you will run that country with, with one good album. Dr. Yeah. Congo to the stage. Okay, this isn't a funny story though. This is a serious natural disaster. Uh, it's just funny how they're abbreviating that country name now. Orders on Thursday to evacuate Goma, a city lying in the shadow of DR Congo's Mount Niaragongo volcano have shed light on a rare but potentially catastrophic risk, a limnic eruption when volcanic activity combined with a deep lake can spew out lethal suffocating gas. The phenomenon first came to the world's attention in 1984 when 37 people mysteriously died at Lake Manoon in western Cameroon. Scientists found that dissolved CO2 in the depths of the lake had erupted, creating invisible clouds at the surface that were borne by winds into homes and fields snuffing out life. Isn't that crazy that the earth that, that gives us life and that an invisible gas just pushing out the other gas becomes a wave of death. So um, just shout out to everybody uh, who's having to deal with this evacuation and uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing to celebrate that humanity has reached this level of understanding of Earth that we can apply that to save lives on mass. So good luck to everybody dealing with this one. The uh, everybody lying in the shadow of Mount Niragango. Yeah, that's pretty close to right. That's, All right, so. Before you go, Steve, now for a few minutes for me to get in, like I'm, I'm stalling. I'm just stalling at this point. We, we have like, I, I'm like, man, I got this what else really big inflation story to get to. 
So tell us the comment contest again. Get some fun comments going while we do these few. And then we got we got a lot of fun economic stories too. Most expensive new car ever. That's comfortable. Oh wow. Yeah. All right. So comment contest is again, what is the most outrageous thing you would do to get into the producers club and or be a guest on Adam versus the man? All right. Thank you, Steve. We'll be coming back in just a few minutes with you after this econ block. Hopefully we'll get through. These are fun headlines, but the first one from FT Financial Times, FT.com by, uh, let's see, uh, John Plunder. The demise of the dollar, question mark, reserve currencies in the era of, quote, going big. The extraordinary stimulus measures in the U.S. could undermine confidence in the greenback if inflation takes off. Now, any libertarian who's been around the movement for more than a few minutes has seen the graph that shows the decline of the U.S. dollar since its inception with the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. And depending on how you calculate it, it's lost 96 to 98 percent of its value. And that's measured in real value and purchasing power. And there are lots of ways that this concept of inflation is explained. But as always, I must explain that there is a misuse of that term in the way that we think about it now that is deliberately set up to obscure the true meaning or the original meaning, the original economic usage of the term inflation. Because you go inflation, what is inflating? What is going up? what is actually causing prices to go up, right? There are a couple of things that, I mean, think about basic supply and demand or what, what affects prices, right? When you think about the possibility that demand goes, or supply goes way down, demand goes way up, prices would go up, right? But those things generally follow consistent trends over the long term, at least. Demand grows with population affected by technology and, and wealth, right? You know, what do we want? We always have this a human demand as consumers. This is, I mean, generally a steady line. Uh, then, and uh, yes, of course, all of the micro trends with, and I'm talking like his 100 year timeline, right? All the micro trends within that and, 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 and you know, shifts to demand and this or that, those are the exciting things about predicting economic trends that are relevant to business development and investment. But then supply, right? Supply of what humans want to consume, of, of food, water, shelter, clothing, uh, electronics, internet service, energy, entertainment, everything, travel, whatever luxuries that humans might want to consume. The supply goes up exponential think about this for a second why because it's driven by technology the first major technological leap in this sense was agriculture and the ability of a single human being to generate enough calories to feed more than themselves when we switched from being subsistence hunters and gatherers to primitive communities with rudimentary agriculture, we first had specialization of labor. And this, in and of itself, we can see is an exponential leap. 
Imagine you have a tribe, a community, a primitive humans of about a hundred people. They're all, they got mud huts, thatched roofs, they're happy, they're able to hunt and gather and fish and and enjoy life. But then, but they're all, that's it. That's all they're doing. Surviving. Make this is subsistence hunting gathering society, right? Not hard to imagine. But then one of them learns how to collect seeds, plant crops, and divert water from the river into agriculture. Figures out how to domesticate animals for meat and dairy and eggs, and then they got them in a pen, and they now can feed a hundred people. That switch, that 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 was tech, that was technology, that was understanding, that was knowledge. First major chunk of human applied technology that led to a leap in social abilities, an exponential increase in what we could produce. Remember, we're going back. Don't worry, it's still about the dollar here. Talking about the supply. You look at where we are today. We talk about just in terms of calories with industrial agriculture and farming and ranching. One human being. In, in, in a year, you know, to grow and cook grow GMO corn in America or, or any other any other stable crops, or even a variety of crops, can produce with today's technologies uh, uh, enough calories. And, you know, it's specialized even now to the point because then distribution with the internal combustion energy allowed us to have monocrop combination in supply chain. So that farmers could be even more productive per person. So even just tracing the history of agriculture, just with the one dynamic of food, of all the things that humans might want to consume, it has been exponential in the course of human progress and our ability to provide what we want to consume. So you go back to that tribe of 100, now one person figures out how to feed everybody, well, the other 99, are free to make art and music and technology and pursue science and learning and the things that have, have... You notice how things are a little different today than they were in what we think of as caveman times? It's a big leap. And a lot of it is really just driven by agriculture. It's allowed all this other technology. And it all follows an exponential curve. And even now, now we understand that like never before. Now, not only with the hindsight that we have the ability to look back at human history with to see all of these exponential dynamics. Right now, it's Moore's law seeing that computing power on average doubles every whatever it is. And it, I know people will debate Moore's law, but the general trend is irrefutable. And the human experience of the last several thousand years, even under modern bureaucratic governments, perhaps for the last few hundred years, has been one where human productive capacity. Has, has continued to increase exponentially. And remember, an exponential, if you go back, it's, a, it's almost flat in that longer perspective. 200,000 years of, of, of human experience, relatively flat, fire, wheel, major leaps, and then agriculture, and you go, whoa, and then the internet, and then, you know, the, well, okay. Industrial revolution, internal combustion engines, modern communications. Internet, and you go, ooh, 3D printing, drones. Wait, wait, wait. Why is my quality of, I'm, why am I still driving a car with an internal combustion engine spinning four rubber wheels down a, a paved surface? 
Well, we'd have flying cars by now. That's government. And the dollar, fiat currency, is the primary mechanism by which they steal this from us. This is why libertarians care about this, because it's holding back human progress. It is causing suffering, not just in the theft, but the suppression. It's not just one less nice new car. It's one less kid who can afford life-saving surgery, whose parents can afford or whose community can afford. <laughs> it's one less life-saving technology being developed because money that would go to research and development to meet actual human needs instead goes to serve the needs of the powers that be. And when it serves their interests, when they feel like there are too many of us, when you have the power to print money, to create money, claims to wealth, to steal from people by the fraud of inflation of the monetary supply, you can make as much war as you can get away with when it suits your purposes. KJ Freedways, and how can I get some of your books to give away to people here in Roswell, New Mexico, one for me to read? Email me, adam at thefreedomline.com. We'll make it happen. So this, this exponential curve is what we should all be experiencing as humans. The fact that it's more linear, oh, well, you get to have a better life than your parents. You get to make a better life for your kids than you had. That linear, our brains don't expect more than that. But step back and apply your intellect to analyze the point in human history where you are at right now. And you will see that the difference between this curve of somewhere along here where we should be going up the blade of the hockey stick instead, we're trucking along here. And that difference in productivity and wealth is what is being stolen from us by governments today. It is truly the unseen that are the greatest costs of statism. So to the story, all right, Jim Freedom wants to weigh in. We spend so much time noticing money don't grow on trees. We forget that food does, and it's the food that we need. Akala, indeed, indeed. All right, billionaire U.S. fund manager Stanley Druckenmiller delivered an apocalyptic warning earlier this month that the dollar could cease to be the predominant global reserve currency within 15 years. Oh. I can't find any period in history where monetary and fiscal policy were this out of step with the economic circumstances, the chief executive of the Duquesne family office declared. He is not alone in expressing concerns about excess U.S. demand, a more inflationary environment, and accompanying dollar weakness. Such worries have been a contributory factor in the jittery equity markets for the past two weeks. Now, uh, just to explain, because I, I didn't learn this term until uh, I'd been studying economics for a while, uh, family office. Duquesne is the chief executive of the Duquesne family office. Uh, for a lot of uh, extremely wealthy individuals or families, they have a business office that basically just manages their wealth, and they are often called the family office. The dollar has survived at least four decades worth of predictions of its demise, yet Druckenmiller's View on currency should not be cavalierly dismissed. This is the man, after all, who, with George Soros, broke the Bank of England when he made a hugely profitable bet back in 1992 on sterling, leaving the European exchange rate mechanism. 
So the the predictions of its demise. This is a you know bigger thing in 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 my context of of this coverage, and that I have been critical of uh, even and this is this is um, I mean Ron Paul is not the one who deserves the criticism here for analyzing and exposing the reality of the U.S. dollar. But when Ron Paul comes out and and has over the years so effectively pointed out and said, hey, guys, by the way, the Federal Reserve is a mechanism of stealing from everybody, and it really is a fiat currency that is is essentially worthless and could go at any time. A lot of profiteers and and doomsdayers have jumped in and said, let's focus on the could go at any time part. And buy my gold, you know, buy gold for my sponsors. And, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of lot of shysters and hucksters out there taking advantage of the specter of the dollar collapse. Druckenmiller's warning comes against the background of a longstanding retreat from the dollar as the world has moved gradually towards a multiple reserve currency system. Even before the coronavirus pandemic and the extraordinary economic conditions it has generated, generated there were signs that the dollar's dominance was slipping and and i wonder is, is it designed to always look that way there have been you know and and since the institution of our current dollar system there have been people saying that this is illegitimate and could collapse at any time but richard nixon 1971 taking the u.s dollar off the gold standard for a lot of people represented a critical decoupling but then you step back and you look at that chart of the decline of the dollar over time. It's not like there was a sudden turn, but that that removed a potential floor in value for the dollar being backed by that gold, at least hypothetically, because governments said so somehow that they would you know, do what they said and be honorable and honest for once. Uh, that that represented a major turning point. And since the dollar has been decoupled from gold, that it really is sort of fragile or floating as a true fiat currency fiat is in the fiat fiat literally the word itself means dictate not the car company okay most more people know fiat the word as a car company than as a word that you can use by fiat is by order by demand by statement by by stated authority so that is why we call them fiat currencies, as opposed to free market currencies or cryptocurrencies or, or metals-backed currencies, or even commodities like gold and silver as metals being used as currency. Trump 2024, people should start using silver as a currency again. It's not illegal as long as you pay the appropriate sales tax. Oh, oh, we get to pay the sales tax and then we have permission from the crowd to to trade our own silver? Oh, geez. Tell us more what privileges we enjoy as citizens of the American empire, Mr. Trump 2024 on YouTube. <laughs> Bartering is legal as long as you pay the sales tax corresponding with the dollar value of the traded good. Yes, that's why I barter and use gold and silver and crypto here in Gardein is because I want to pay the sales tax. Now, Trump 2024, there is technically correct in describing the on paper reach of the IRS and according to their regulations. And you can look this up. If you're that kind of nerd or you want to fact check me at irs.gov. I don't know, This I looked this up like 10 years ago when I first was studying this. But at that time, at least it was on the website, black and white, that any barter exchanges of dollar value exceeding $20 
need to be included in your tax reports. Psychic Taxi and the Fed, exactly. And that's why we support the use of alternative currencies. And it is important to realize that by holding the dollar, you are empowering this racket. It's, it's not just use alternative currencies. It's don't hold U.S. dollars. That's, that is the moral imperative in all of this. Don't hold U.S. dollars. If you get a government paycheck, if you get lucky, you know, you get, you get, uh, you get your $1,400 of the $10,000, whatever they borrowed in your name and your bank account, don't let it sit there. That's, that is the most reckless thing you can do with your money. It would be better to spend it recklessly and get no value from it than to let it sit in a bank account and empower the Federal Reserve System to rip off the world and make war and injustice. Yeah. Yeah. But what you can do is get out of it. If you want to save it, if you want to sit on cash, buy crypto, buy metals, buy something that is not the U.S. dollar. Any, anything. You can get creative. I don't care. But please, I say this is a moral imperative. Don't hold the U.S. dollar more than you have to. Psychic Taxi. Whoever has the most paper when the music stops loses. <laughs> All right. So back to the story. We have some heavy shit to cover here. There's a graph, if you pull it up, please, Jim. The dollar's domination of central bank foreign exchange reserves. This is how to understand the fiat currency empires of the world. Uh, chart above that one, Jim, the, uh, the colored rectangle. Can I call it colored? Is the rectangle going to be offended? I don't think so. No. The one with the stripes here. Yes. Um, other currencies is that small stripe across the top. Swiss francs is, is a negligible stripe there. Like a, a percent. Or, yeah. Thanks for zooming in, Jim. As you see me like leaning forward and squinting at my screen. Then underneath that, you have Australian dollars in green. A few percentage points there. Then you have Canadian dollars, and that that was rather surprising. Canadian dollars are a, a very small but significant part of central bank foreign exchanges. Then you get pounds sterling, the currency of the Royal British Empire. We can, they should be offensive. They have a fucking monarchy. How pathetic is that? Anyway, then up next, the Japanese yen. And I, I get it. It's, it's parliamentary, whatever, uh, representation. Japanese yen is the next one. It looks like somewhere between 5 10%. And then the first big chunk, euros. Euros. And by the way, this is in trillions of dollars. We're talking about, so the lines on the right side of the graph there go up to 12. So $12 trillion is the foreign ex official foreign exchange allocated reserves by currency claims. And this is measured in, they, the U.S. dollars is the, it's the biggest one. So this is the standard by which value is measured in the world. And that's, it's not entirely true, but to the fact that it is, that it is crowded out real measures of value and distort it how we value real goods and services is quite disgusting 
But euros here make up the next chunk, a little over 2 billion out of 12 billion. So a little more, more than, more than 10%. But then you look at U.S. dollars, big bad boy in blue there, looking at about 7 trillion of the 12 trillion. Now, when they say, oh my God, that could collapse the system. Yes, exactly. That's what we're talking about. When we promote Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and money consciousness and activism, we're not just saying, hey, you might be better off if you're holding a currency that is engineered to gain value or preserve material value than one that is engineered through inflation of the monetary supply to lose value. We're also saying, fuck the man, fuck the banks, fuck the wars, fuck the police state, fuck the surveillance state, fuck your control and your ripoff through this whole toxic, corrupt system. We're not going to use your money because you can't make us. The most they can do to make us, and this is really the underpinning of the value. You want to say, what, what is the value of the dollar? Why? Because it's demand, right? It's that people, people want to use it. Why? What is the actual backing of the dollar? It's the fact that the government requires you to pay your taxes in U.S. dollars. And even if we did that, even if we didn't change it, every American just went to the bank and said, hey, I'm going to change some silver for some dollars so I can go pay my taxes. That was the only time we ever touched U.S. dollars. This system would collapse in a matter of months. UT, again, Wayne, and buy free. UT, if you're going to wait, if you're going to comment this much, I'm not going to read your number every time. Buy freedom seeds and solar panels. Whoa, what's that? U, one, two, three. U, one. one. Oh, I thought it was a T. UT. Okay. Anyway. Um, so back to the story here. Anti-inflationary credibility at stake. Oh, Really? When it comes to reserve currency status, there are huge advantages deriving from incumbency, partly from inertia, but also from network effects. The more people use the dollar, the more useful it is for everyone else. And as Dario Perkins, head of global macroeconomics, of T.S. Lombard points out, the leadership of the global economy does not change hands often. Most previous regime changes, he says, whether in 15th century Venice, Amsterdam in the late 1700s, or the UK in the 1940s, happened because of political turmoil, usually involving devastating military conflicts. Devastating military conflict. Devastating military conflict. Devastating military conflict. Devastating. Have we had an... Oh, Iraq and Afghanistan. No shit. That said, there is general agreement that the biggest single peacetime threat to reserve <laughs> currency status is economic and financial mismanagement. And with the Fed having abandoned its longstanding commitment to tightening policy in anticipation of inflation and President Joe Biden going big with fiscal policy, the fear that inflation could undermine the currency is mounting, at least in some circles. So skipping ahead, obviously we got another comment here, classical music on YouTube. Does the size of a currency as a global reserve correlate to the size of world government military? Uh, Yes, yes, uh, that's a great observation. Great, I, I would say now correlation uh, and causation are different things, right? And the relationship between central banks and militaries is a complicated one. However, 
the causation relationship is very clear that fiat currencies tend to go hand in hand with outsized military forces to defend that racket. And part of what makes the dollar valuable is not just that it's been forced on the American people, but how it's been forced on the world as the reserve currency, as the petrodollar, as that money which is shipped to Iraq by the pallet and waved in front of the noses of the U.S. troops who are there, like Steve and myself, who go, oh, yeah, now you see what it's about. Skipping ahead in the story, if you would, Jim, that graph you had of earlier, China's holdings of U.S. Treasuries increase after Biden's victory. Oh, we have a super chat. You, one, two, three, eight, eight, one, interrupting with $13. I like your show. Thank you there. Uh, so to this graph, China's holdings of U.S. Treasuries increase after Biden's victory. And uh, this is a distorted graph. If you look at the right side, it's 1100 on the top and 1050 on the bottom. But the last part of the trend here is what's important. And it shows that if China is seeing that this is something they can own and manipulate with the weight that they have been able to throw around. Around. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped the Remnibi because I hate pronouncing it. Uh, the, the third or fourth stripe on the chart we were looking at earlier is the Chinese uh, renminbi. Why do they have to make that so awkward to it's just it's it's and it's not hard, it's just fucking awkward word. Really like renminbi. Fuck you, China. Really? Excuse me. Excuse me, China. Fuck your government. Fuck the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Uh, but the who's called the Chinese dollar, the Chinese money. The uh, you know, the 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 uh the China money. Like the China virus, because it because it comes from China, China, right. China the Remnimbi. So, skipping ahead again in the story, uh, these concerns about inflation; those concerns have been most forcefully expressed by former Treasury Secretary and fellow Democrat Larry Summers, who has said the Biden administration is pursuing the least responsible fiscal macroeconomic policy we've had for the last forty years. In an interview with the FT last month, he declared that when it's explained that the Fed has an entirely new paradigm, it's a bit hard to understand why expectations should remain anchored. He added, quote, we're seeing an episode that I think differs both quantitatively and qualitatively from anything since Paul Volcker's days at the Fed, and it stands to reason that would lead to significant changes in expectations. In other words, the anti-inflationary credibility won at such high cost by the Fed over the past 40 years may now be in question, causing foreign investors to worry that the U.S. will inflate away the value of their treasury holdings. Now, there's a little translation of the propaganda here, anti-inflationary credibility, right? That the Fed is really, it, 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 it has this flowery mandate of you know managing inflation and, and, and keeping unemployment down. But what they're really doing is managing the fiat currency and making sure they don't put out too much to destabilize the system, but as much as they can get away with to keep the rich getting richer at the expense of the rest of us, which of course is the actual purpose of government. I guess if you just keep that in mind, you don't really need to translate all the bullshit minutia, but foreign investors may worry that the U.S. will inflate away the value of their treasury holdings 
And this to the world reserve currency challenge represents a potential critical turning point. It's not when enough people start using Bitcoin, right? That's going to crash the dollar. I mean, it could eventually. Uh, it's not people start trading silver. No, is that no? Because the dollar itself, in the realm of competing fiat currencies, is actually a lot more fragile than that. It's when the U.S. bank, the U.S. Federal Reserve System, goes too far in printing money, inflating the monetary supply. That causes price inflation, that reduces the purchasing power of that dollar. It means those other banks in the rest of the world that are holding US dollars are starting to go, mm -hmm. and we gotta start trading this stuff away in chunks because it's losing value now more than we're getting, faster than we're getting the benefit from holding it. And so, the inflation of the monetary supply that's happening right now with the stimulus and the bailouts and Biden's $1.9 trillion, whatever it ended up to, doesn't matter. It was it, the way they might be, and I don't want to be one of these doomsdayers of the dollar, but yes, this does look different. And I hope that uh, with at least my longer term audience members, I would have some credibility because I have not been fear mongering of the dollar. I, I think I did briefly, but I, oh my God, Ron Paul is right about everything. The dollar could collapse in any second. You, you need to own some metals. But since I really understood the issue, I, I, I have not been, been a fear monger or a doomsdayer. And I look at this and I go, you know what? Now this might be different. It might be different because it is an injection of cash into the U.S. economy without a corresponding increase in material goods. See, as we have increased our productivity exponentially, they've been able to inflate the monetary supply exponentially as claims to that new wealth. That's how they steal it. New wealth is created. Your purchasing power goes down, especially people on fixed income. Savings depreciate because the dollar's purchasing power is devalued but it maintains its functional value as a claim to a steady amount of, it should, remember, this is very important. As that happens, as we became, become more productive, the natural course of economic progress would be for prices to go down a lot, a lot. Even for core commodities, you know, like a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread. Well, how much more efficient have we gotten in producing those things in terms of the material input of energy and labor input of humans since 100 years ago? Way more effective, way more efficient. The prices should be going down a lot. But they're relatively linear. And that's a measure of what is being stolen from us. All of this exponential world, everything that we were able to do better than our parents' generations exponentially better that has been stolen from us the potential for the human experience to continue its exponential curve into this critical turning point is being stolen from us by the powers that be in order to keep us on a linear track of progress and what makes this different right now is that in order to maintain that post-covid to keep americans fat and happy and distracted with bread and circuses they may have gone too far. They may have printed too many dollars. And it's not the printing, 
but having released them into the economy as a pressure on, let's bring it back now to supply and demand. Supply and demand applies to the currency as well. So if the supply of dollars goes up, chasing the same amount of goods and services in the economy, then the prices are going to go up as a matter of competition for dollars among those selling. But what makes this moment special is that not only do you have an inflation of the monetary supply in an outsized, unique way around COVID, more money that's ever been handed out than has ever been handed out before in a, in a period of time like this, I, I, I dare say possibly in human history. Combined with a radical reduction in productivity around COVID, and that's all you want to look at this as an economist. It's the value of restaurants and bars and human interaction, all of those costs. But just the fact that we're making less widgets and serving less meals and selling less cars means that that money in the market is leading to actual price inflation. And we see it in commodities. We've been talking about this for months with the price of lumber up three, four hundred percent, affecting new home starts. So many other things affected by this. Steel, three hundred percent types of increases we've seen. Uh, in, in commodities across the board like that, food going up. Now, actually, food shortages that are not real shortages so much as supply chain problems, but very real nonetheless. We have some more stories in the stack we're going to breeze through in a minute to get to and cover some of these points. Patrick Lewis, I do a beer bong and a man thong while playing a country music song to be a guest on the show. Marcus. That's our leader for the comment contest right now. So, all right, back to the uh, the story. There's a section called Erosion of Safety. I think we covered that. Uh, another one, dealers widened treasury spreads in March 2020's market scare. So there's sort of plenty of other indicators you can look at that bolster this narrative. Although when you're reading it from Financial Times, you still need a translator, right? So jumping ahead to uh, the last three uh, paragraphs on the story. I'm sorry, the last paragraph on the story uh, because they're talking about cross-border payments, cheaper transactions. There's a whole other element of technology we just barely touched on really as it affects the monetary system itself. Right now, like never before, there's an expectation that money should be cheap or like the, the systems of money should be cheap, fast, easy, and done with an app on your phone. We're already there in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong. Oh, what do you, it's happening. But the macroeconomic effects of money moving like that throughout the world through Cash App and Zelle and Venmo and PayPal. I mean, even PayPal is sort of maybe the predecessor to where we are with so many of these other services today. It was a revolutionary leap that still has yet to fully manifest its macroeconomic implications when it comes to the money system. So, the last paragraph of the story from Financial Times. History tells us that it took just 10 years for the dollar to remove sterling from its reserve currency role. That reflected the devastation wrought on British economic and financial might by the First World War. In the light of the extraordinary fiscal and monetary response to the pandemic, it seems unlikely that the coronavirus will prove as economically potent 
as that military conflagration. But the threats to the dollar to watch are U.S. fiscal profligacy. That would be irresponsible spending, which is not really what it is. It's engineered handouts and monetary debasement. They, they, they are using it so much they have debased the value. Well, the more debasement of all fiat currencies, I say, the better. Now, we're going to skim through the rest of our economic headlines as quickly as we can. And I'm going to show you how they fit into this larger narrative before we get to our guest and check in with Steve for our comment contest. Buenos Aires Times poll shows Argentines expect inflation to hit 50% in next year. Yeah, and here, when in the vernacular, we will just say inflation. They're using it by to mean price inflation, not monetary supply inflation. Prices in Argentina are seen rising 50.2% over the next 12 months, according to the University of Torquato de Tela's monthly poll of citizens. And this reminds me that one of the most important things in having monetary consciousness is not just killing the dollar or killing whatever fiat currency or the renminbi you live with or under or is dominant in the market where you operate, <clears throat> where you live, function, and buy your gas and groceries. Uh, but there's a possibility that even this is part of an engineered collapse designed to give us a global fiat currency or to reorganize the fiat currency rackets. So in this reorganization, this shuffling of the deck that seems to be happening now, it's all the more important that we make sure the deck has the right cards in it and that Bitcoin is strong, that crypto is strong, that our ability to use gold and silver and alternative digital payment methods online are strong. Because, yes, the fate of humanity is at stake right now. How we use money may determine major dynamics of human history for the rest of our lives. Rob B, monetary inflation is the cause of asset price inflation, correct? And eventually retail price inflation. So uh, let's see. Um, next up in our deck here, um, opinion from Market Watch. More investors than ever are borrowing to buy stocks. Here's what this really means for the market. Total margin debt has dub nearly doubled since March 2000. Margin debt's new all-time highs and the other bullish or bearish. I'm referring to the total amount that investors have borrowed to purchase stocks because the effect of margin is to leverage stocks' gains. Its market-wide level is, measured, uh, is a measure of investor confidence. It's also a measure of lack of confidence in the dollar. And this is a really interesting position you find yourself in. If you know the dollar's about to collapse, the smart play is to borrow dollars and invest in something that's going to go up more than the dollar's going to collapse, which is a pretty easy bet to make. If you can engineer that for yourself, whether it's with crypto or land or gold or silver, I encourage you to do that right now. But especially now, don't be sitting on dollars. CNBC Bitcoin traders using up to 100 to 1 leverage are driving the wild swings in cryptocurrency. So unfortunate manipulation. There are a lot of powers that be that would want to see cryptos die and, and manipulate uh, Bitcoin in particular. So who knows what's really behind this? I would encourage you, if you're a crypto enthusiast, you like seeing these, go to the notes at t.me slash Adam versus the man. But obviously this story, you see there's a parallel 
with what's happening in the stock market, in the crypto market. There are people borrowing money in order to buy and sell crypto. And uh, I really encourage that because that's devaluing the U.S. dollar in order to drive up the prices of crypto. Now, manipulation might lead to swings. There might be some reason this is overall a bad thing. But if you can get out of the dollar by crypto or metals, do it. CNN Business, invest ahead. Crypto investors to Elon Musk. Please stop tweeting this. You may have, you may have pissed <laughs> off the community a bit at this point. The prices of Bitcoin, Dogecoin, and other digital currencies have plunged more than 40% in recent weeks. While Elon Musk isn't the only reason for the crypto carnage, he certainly isn't helping. Whether it's going on Saturday Night Live and joking that Dogecoin is a hustle or having his epiphany that Bitcoin mining may not be great for the environment, Musk's behavior is cryptocurrency bulls wishing he would stop tweeting and focus more on building cars instead. Who knows what he's really up to? Maybe we'll find out eventually. CNBC.com. Jeff Bezos assures shareholders they're in good hands at final meeting as CEO. That's right. On uh, Wednesday, Amazon's Jeff Bezos capped off his last shareholder meeting as the CEO of the company he founded. So he's not stepping uh, away from ownership, but he is stepping back from operation involvement in order to branch out. And he is doing plenty of other interesting things. Shareholders voted down 11 proposals calling on Amazon to take action on issues of climate change, working conditions, and racial and gender disparities in the workplace. So it was an interesting meeting. CNBC also with this headline, follow-up, Amazon to buy. What, what, what's Jeff Bezos buying now? What, what is the world's third richest man buy for fun? Amazon to buy MGM Studios for $8.45 billion. Interesting now because Hollywood, certainly suffering economically, major decline for Hollywood, uh, where I guess it's, I get the you know, properties are cheap and uh, Bezos already owns the Washington Post. So he's got that propaganda outlet. Maybe he's seeking to uh, build up his megaphone here. Very interesting to see where he might be going with that. Wall Street Journal, this next headline about the housing market. In tight housing market, thousands of homes are reserved for certain buyers. Whisper listings made directly to select customers are growing at a time when housing inventory is near record lows. Now, I didn't know what this was. I mean, as soon as I saw it explaining this, it made sense, right? So a lot of, uh, lot of real estate agents, instead of hosting a house because they know demand is so high, they can sometimes get better prices by going directly to buyers with a you know whisper listing hey this isn't posted but I'll, I'll, I'll let you because you're special you get an exclusive opportunity to make an offer on this house it's a weird way of pumping this up because while most americans are suffering people in the rental sector but those who are in the higher end home ownership surprise surprise they're doing very well right now washington post at msn the new american status symbol from backyard that is basically a Fancy living room. Bill Palioras dreamed of a backyard Eden, not your garden variety deck, with stackable plastic chairs and a kettle charcoal grill. Why sell for that? But a loaded, supersized, decked-out deck with an outdoor living room, dining area, 54-inch grill, full kitchen, bar, two-draft kegerator, oversized island, massive weatherproof television, elaborate sound system, and semicircular fire lounge. And I'm like, wait, why don't you just go to your living room and get rid of the walls. <laughs> you know, like, okay. I think about like what, what we're doing here in Gardenia, like luxury backyard. Li- hello. Like, that, mm, 
a country living off grid. No, it is an interesting trend with the uh, you know outdoor living attached to the house luxury decks. And I will say, as a, a bit of an architecture geek and a home geek, I'm I'm looking at this picture going like, not the one Jim's got on screen, the first one in the story. But like, yeah, pretty cool, nice trend. Uh, healthy disrespect for other. I'd rather have a food force. Hey, hey you can have both. Uh, Richard Einstein. Uh, it's not El Einstein. Richard Einstein. All right. Uh, to put it simply, America is 100% finished. Weapons ban is coming very soon with Chinese troops wearing blue helmets, disarming all Americans except for God's chosen criminals who will be well armed. I don't believe it. I think yeah. I think we are. I think we are at the end. I think we have a lot of steps backwards. That's pretty fear mongering. You, you have to have the historical perspective to analyze the, the questions you would ask to come to such a conclusion as, as you did there. And it reminds me that in my analysis, at least, the human dance of progress is two steps forward, one step backwards. And we are at the end of a major step backwards. It could be the global, global fiat currency trend. The everything else around it, the, the, the crises of our time are, are almost byproducts of the fiat currency system anyway. Up next, France 24, crime bosses, wild claims, shake Turkish government. Yeah, millions of Turks have been glued to their screens watching a crime boss tell wild stories about international drug smuggling, murders, and the murky ties between politicians and the mafia. Fun story if you want to get into it in a way that we don't have time to right now, I will point out just a beautiful way that technology now is making something like this possible, that uh, you can uh, expose without fear of death. Whereas, as we've pointed out, you used to have your tongue cut out for speaking ill of the king. Now you just get shadow banned. On Forbes, we see this headline, Biden drops student loan forgiveness from latest budget. Yeah. Oh, and there's a picture of him winking. Like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Thanks to all, of, to all of you liberal suckers who thought that Biden was going to get, you were going to get student loan forgiveness from this prick. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. That's my told you so for the day. You, one, two, three, again, the king is naked. Yes, yes, the emperor wears no clothes. From DJHJ Media, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis keeps his word. Signs bill allowing Floridians to sue tech tyrants for censorship up to $100,000. Big economic story. A lot of political bantering still. How's it going to work? I'm pretty sure the rich are not going to stop getting richer because of this policy. And Ron DeSantis is not suddenly an honest politician. CBS this morning, Memorial Day air travel said to boom as rapidly expanding airline industry rises to meet demand. Next up, Bloomberg at MSN.com. Airbnb's future is about living, not just travel. Yeah. COVID-19 has precipitated the most profound change in travel since the airplane, says Brian Chesky, chief executive officer and co-founder of Airbnb speaking over Zoom. Shortly after presenting a site revamp consisting of 100 mostly granular improvements, Chesky detailed his vision of just what he means by that. The crux of the change, he says, is in that the lines between travel, work, and living are blurring. Ooh. Pretty cool to think that those of you who don't want a homestead like this, 
don't want to settle down. Life is really cool. Being a digital nomad, being go Air, Airbnb to Airbnb, live somewhere for a month, stay longer if you enjoy it. Yeah, that that whole world of luxury, looking well, you know, that, that humanity is, is realizing how it's beautiful. Cityjournal.org. That's city-journal. The woke industrial complex, Lockheed, as in Lockheed Martin, as in the warmonger profiteers. Lockheed, the nation's largest defense contractor, sends key executives on a mission to deconstruct their white male privilege. <laughs> no, this is now corporations in order to maintain their government contracts have to pander to the voters the same way that politicians do or similarly. The Washington Post at MSN.com. The Technology 202, a new antitrust lawsuit, raises the stakes for federal scrutiny of Amazon. A new D.C. antitrust lawsuit against Amazon escalates pressure on Washington to take on the e-commerce giant. From Wall Street Journal, another interesting wrinkle and sign of the times, God told me to put money into Hertz. Small investors are winning big again. Spring resurgence in so-called meme stocks is latest triumph for retail traders long derided as dumb money. I think you're still dumb money if the plan of sticking it to the man is giving the man your money to buy the man's coupons for pieces of their companies. Yahoo Finance with Bloomberg Story World faces longer supply shortage as China's factories squeezed, which leads us to our next headline I mentioned with food shortages earlier. CBS4 Denver winging it. Colorado restaurants grapple with Chicken wing shortage. Yeah. I'm not mad. Fox 5 New York. One McDonald's is so desperate for workers, it is giving away iPhone. Yeah. Just another talk. Can't talk about economics with where we are right now. Trying to give you all the big picture without mentioning this very important new dynamic of the uh, this is big libertarian, I told you so. Not really me personally, but that, and and because because libertarians have made this point, and I thought it was always kind of hyperbolic, like, hey, if the welfare state gets too strong, nobody will want to work, everybody will collect welfare, nobody will have jobs, and productivity will go down, and everybody a death spiral, be kind of right. And you go, oh shit, we're we're there, guys. <laughs> like, oh yeah. That's how strong, I mean, and it, the funny thing is the government has been so sort of scattershot. You know, it's not like, okay, guys, we got UBI now because they don't want to be able to blame it on state policy. But I know a lot of people who like their, half their time spent being productive is chasing government handouts. That's fucking sad. And because you, you do have to spend time. Getting government handouts, I don't want to say it's hard, but it is a time-consuming pain in the ass. Time on the phone with customer service, waiting in government lines, things like that. But a McDonald's restaurant in Illinois is offering iPhones to try to attract new workers. Yeah. yeah. This is crazy. But this is after six months employment and meet employment criteria. But still, very hilarious sign of the times. Yes, McDonald's is starving for employees. Wall Street Journal, oil giants are dealt major defeats on climate change as pressures intensify. And finally, is this, this is the last story. Last story in our econ block. We made it today to round this off. I told you this was coming. 
This Rolls-Royce boat tail may be the most expensive new car in history. We can see why. I'm looking at the picture. I don't see why. It's a two-door coupe. Doesn't look very cool. I mean, it's a, it's a nicely designed car. I don't want to like, I, would, I wouldn't demean it. But if you're going to spend so much money on a car, wouldn't, wouldn't you... Wouldn't you want a, a status symbol that, that's a symbol other people will notice? Rolls-Royce is notoriously coy about the price of its truly bespoke limousines, yet since this new outrageously decadent boat tail was inspired by the $13 million Rolls-Royce swept tail from 2017, but with increased complexity, it may easily be the most expensive new car to date. That title currently resides with Bugatti's La Voiture Noire, which sold for a reported $18.7 million after taxes. Do you think it went to somebody who got calluses on their hands to make $18.7 million? No. The only people who spend that kind of money are those who are stolen money that was stolen, who are already so arrogant to believe, believe that they should be sitting on piles of money that big, that if you had $18.7 million, you had eight, if you spend $18.7 million on a car, it means you think it is more important for you to have that car than for you to have a million dollar car and, and, and spend $17.7 million towards ending world hunger or fighting injustice or even building a company. No, give me. $18.7 million worth of bullshit luxury that's not going to increase human happiness in any meaningful way instead. Fucked up. Patrick Lewis, does it fly? It better for that much, but no. We're going to have flying cars cheaper than this by far. All right, we've got just a few minutes before we get to our guest. Let's bring Steve back on to check in with our contest. Patrick Lewis, as far as I can tell, is in the lead. Steve, what else do you have for good comments there? Uh, yeah, so so I think it's it's uh, between Patrick Lewis. I, I think he's yeah, I think he's gonna be the winner. Uh, and then you one two three said he would go around and hug people still wearing masks. And as as it's funny good. as I think that would be, I feel like that's an endangerment to his own life. <laughs> so yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Does that violate the mask? No, no, like, consensual hugs. You, yeah. Wearing a mask, it's not consensual. They are. I don't want to touch you. Yeah. That's why he's saying he would do it, and it's a big deal. I like it. Uh, so the uh, most outrageous like I could do to join the club, I would call my governor's office and ask for Governor Epstein. <sighs> That's uh, <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> pretty pretty well established fact. Now, Steve, we didn't we didn't really have time to get to this, but if Ed wants to comment or come in, if, do you have any more contest entries you want to share? No, I think those are the only. I think those are the All only. right. All right. Well, this is your last chance. You got 25 minutes in the show. Tell them again what the contest is, Steve. All right. So the contest is what is the most outrageous thing you would do to become a member of the Producers Club or become a guest on Adam vs. the Man? So uh, do, do better than Patrick if you want to win. All right, well, in case we don't have time coming after uh, our guests, I want to just invite you and Ed uh, to weigh in. I, I think we did a great job covering everything we want to relevant with Homefront Battle Buddies earlier. 
one of the stories we have uh, in the stack today from Associated Press, deep-rooted racism, discrimination permeate U.S. military. It's a pretty long story, but we had, we had an interesting conversation about this. And uh, if Ed doesn't want to jump on himself, I'll just quickly summarize his experience from, uh, you know, a generation back in the U.S. Army. Uh, he said that it was mainly voluntary segregation and a sort of clickiness, not any kind of formal segregation even. But and it was mostly blacks and Hispanics sticking together and, and often fighting between each other as cliques. It was the race, the dominant racial dynamic. But it was still like all white officers overseeing this craziness in that era. Not all, but uh, the officer corps was certainly much more white dominated. But uh, and, and, you know, my experience with racism in the military is something it's funny because Ed uh, we, we was it a gym, also a veteran. We were joking about this with our relative military experience with different branches and eras. He looks like a minority and isn't one. I is a minority and don't look like one. Ed Vallejo looks like one, has a minority last name, and says even for him, the experience of personal discrimination well, it was not as significant as you know that clickiness. To my experience, the most significant part of racism was, was the uh, demeaning of fucking Hadis constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say the, the most... I would say outside of the general, like I try to describe it as there are cliques in high school and there are cliques in the military. There's almost no differentiating <laughs> when you leave high school and you get into the military. It's it's the same type of clickiness. And then the only like racism that really um, I think I saw, because I, I saw more sexism than I did racism. Um, I had a guard unit from Tennessee tell one of my uh, female NCOs that she shouldn't be in charge of something. And it was like my day off and I found out and I went like steamrolling to the, to the, I was mad. I was going to, I was going to pop this dude in the face. I was like, you know what? I was like, we're going to, we're going to teach you some equality today. Um, luckily <laughs> I didn't do that, but um, him and I had a very interesting conversation about how he felt really regarding sexism and women in the military, which seems to be a more prevalent issue um, than like the clickiness and, and what people, I guess, see as racism. But I think I think people just, you typically just find people you relate to and kind of, you know, that's, that's sort of what happens. That's what you do in high school and it's what happens in the military. No, that's, that's a great point. Uh, we, we have moved on from from racism to sexism being the, the more dominant troubling dynamic in the military and the statistics are something around uh, one third of women uh, experience significant sexual assault during their time in the military and if that's not enough to keep you all away I, I don't know what it is but yeah it, and we're talking like rapes uh, mostly very serious sexual assaults that happen in the, in the military because you're if you're a woman of a lower rank than a man you that you have to do what they say without question sometimes that makes it very easy for them to push you in a, in a bad position but it's it like is 9 40 let's get to our guest if ed wants to wait and we'll check back in towards the end of the show ladies and gentlemen <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen our guest today is libertarian congressional candidate 
for Congress, running for Arizona's 6th District. Jeffrey Metric, welcome to the show, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Adam. How are you? Excellent, excellent. So, hey, tell us about yourself, how you got to live in Arizona, what we need to know about you uh, as a candidate and an activist before we talk about the race. Okay, basically, I grew up in Illinois. I went to the military for four years after high school. And then I came back, helped my father battle cancer. He ultimately lost the battle in 2012. I was in college. I led a fraternity on my campus. I was the first white person to be in a historically black Greek-led organization at Western Illinois University and also be the president of the chapter. Then I ran a business and then I moved out to Arizona in 2020 because I was tired of Illinois and all the lack of freedom, the COVID restrictions, all, all this other stuff that was just completely government overreach and a waste of my time. And I'm very happy living in Arizona. I don't have humidity anymore, which is a huge <laughs> blessing. I don't like humidity. Yeah, I can deal with anything else. I can deal with freezing cold. I can deal with super hot, but humidity is the worst. When you walk outside and you walk 10 feet, it's almost like being down at Fort Polk in Louisiana. You walk 10 feet and you're like, I'm sweating. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I chose my property here in Arizona to be just outside the mosquito zone on the map. And I very much enjoy that. Uh, but tell, tell us, like, where do you live exactly? And I don't, I don't need your address, you know, but you know, what, what part of Arizona, like what kind of climate, environment, and community? I live in the East Valley. I live literally like maybe a kilometer or less from Scottsdale. Like literally. Wait, wait, I, wait. That's, you moved all the way to Arizona and you moved to the shitty part of Arizona. You know, it's not all desert, right? Oh, I know. I've been up to Flagstaff. I like it. I've been out to Tucson, been up in the mountains there. It's beautiful. But I like the Phoenix area. I found a great one bedroom that's like 1800 um, 1900 a month with pretty much everything included. And I'm very happy with it. I have a balcony. I can walk out in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and watch the sunrise over the mountains. I it, can't it, put I will, a price on I will that. say this. I mean, as much as much as I like to make fun of the Phoenix Valley for being like, no, people aren't supposed to live there. It's always like 20 degrees hotter, almost almost perfectly consistently 20 degrees hotter in the Phoenix Valley than where we live here in the mountains. But I will say for all of Arizona, and especially for people who are used to the East Coast, where and, and, and there are a lot of reasons for this, space, culture, but where governments are long-lived, old, entrenched, effectively vicious bureaucracies, Cost of living is unnecessarily expensive. When you live within the territory of those assholes, you, one way or another, are subsidizing subsidizing their, their criminal exploits. So Chicago uh, yeah. was a good example. I lived in the far south suburbs. It was a little rougher of an area, but when I was looking at places to move, like maybe move into downtown Chicago when I still had my candle company... I was looking at places that were studios for 1900, but it was down in like Painter's Row, which is a really, really nice, like, that's where a lot of people like to work with Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. That's where a lot of money is. But I was just like, no, nah, I don't want to be in Illinois anymore. I just said, I'm done. And I moved out to Arizona. All right. So stump speech bio, is there anything we're missing? You want to talk about what you, what your day job and. Your, your my day job is running history. for Congress. That's my day job right now. 
I have investments that cover my living expenses. And that's what I'm about. Because honestly, I'm tired of seeing Democrats and Republicans promise change, hope and change, build America back like Biden said, make America great again. And then they don't do anything. They just do that to get people hooked. It's a psychology. It's a mass psychology. A lot of people don't understand. Like, I have buddies that speak on stage and sell from stage. They sell programs, coaching programs. There's reasons they do what they do and why they move how they move and what they say. Because there's a trick in sales. If I get you to say yes six or seven times to small ass, which is what we do in politics, oh, this is to, you believe in helping small people, small businesses. Okay. Yes, we believe in helping minorities. Yes. And then when they get to that big yeah, that big ask of, oh, we need to have red flag laws for guns. Most people will be like, yeah, because we've been conditioned for so long to say yes to questions that are asked of us. And we don't critically think anymore. It becomes the programming in the background and our subconscious mind because we get conditioned from a young age. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and it's funny because you say that as a sales trick, and it is a trick that can be used to sell something deceptively or something that people mm-hmm. buy. You know, you can sell cars or homes or, or bullshit yep. that way. But what, what we're doing with that, not only is it selling a righteous product, but the way that that technique that you just described is employed most effectively when you're talking to someone who's intelligent who's engaged, who's thinking with you and open to new ideas is it's a kind of Socratic dialogue. It's like, Hey, you own yourself, right? Yeah. You like freedom, right? You like being able to like do what you want. And and we, we throw out, we get them to say yes to all of these basic humane ethics principles. And then you get into politics just to, well, should, should you be allowed to keep what you earn? Should people, should government be able to force medicine into your body? Should they be able to control what you know and and actually you know you know no 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 or should we reduce the the power yes 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 and then if you keep them on that that, that positive train it's real and, and see instead of asking them and the important thing is as i'm thinking for myself applying this is is i get them to agree but i ask rhetorically no questions and I, and it should be like hey if government is trying to force something in your body should you have the right to tell them no? Yes. Yes. Fuck yes. Yes. I have the right mm-hmm. to defend my rights. Yep. So now, so Jeff, I, good, good way to get to the why of this. I love that. Just one more uh, nuts and bolts question. We had a question before here from, from Patrick Lewis, who wanted to know how many people in your district you had actually spoken with. And that next question there, go ahead and put that one back up. That's Ed Psychic Taxi. Classical music. When is the election? Sorry, this is a stupid question. This is, of course, the normal congressional cycle of 22. So what Jeff is doing is like very responsible, long head start for a libertarian who wants to use this race to reach people, not just to win, not just to put points on the board, not just to be a paper candidate, but he's hustling for the majority of this election cycle. And that is huge. So, Jeff. Tell us about the district, your experience with the district, talking to voters there. My, my experience with this district has really been that it's a very red district. It's currently Schweiker's district, Mr. 12 Ethics Violations. But that's a whole other story that we can get into later. 
I've talked to people, and they're about freedom. This is a kind of a this is a very MAGA district. But I've noticed when I'm talking to people and engaging with people in the MAGA group, as well as some people who are Democrats or centrist Republicans, I ask, like I said, I ask very simple questions, very like, if you have kids, I ask, do you believe your kid's getting the best public education? I just engage with people and talk to them and find out that a lot of people don't like public education. They don't think the money that they're paying in taxes is giving them a good ROI. So they're like, I would want to change something. I'm like, what if you got your tax money back and you could use it to invest in your kid's future, how you best saw fit to do it and stop turning it over to the state to educate your kids? Because if the state can, can educate your kids, they can educate them on anything they want. And you really have no say in the matter at that point. Unless you look at like the Vail, Arizona thing where they elected a complete new school board, but it's probably not going to be able to stand up if they do it, if it goes to court, it just won't happen. But that's what I'm starting to, I'm trying to bring people together because we don't have a lot of differences. We have a lot more in common. People want freedom. People want to live their own lives without harassment by anyone, be it politicians, be it other people. That's where I'm at as a libertarian. You do you as long as you're not hurting anyone. I don't really care what you do. It's your life. I have no right to dictate to your life. But when we get into certain things, if we're for, if I'm forced to pay taxes for it, then I do have a say because I'm an investor at that point. But if you don't want me to have a say, then get the taxpayer out of funding it. And guess what? I have no say anymore because it's ultimately your decision. I'm off the hook. I have nothing left for it. Yes. yes. That's how it needs to be. If it if it's a good idea to fund it, the market will fund it. Charities will be created to fund it. If it's not a good idea, it just won't happen. And that is truly giving people their liberty and their freedom back. It's like my campaign slogan is freedom, liberty, and justice for all. People want all right. freedom. I want you to be free. Do what you want to do. Live your best life. Be the best Adam you can be. That's what it is for you. I'm going to be the best Jeff I can be. Liberty is letting people have that freedom. But ultimately realize that with that freedom, you have to be responsible for the outcomes of that. I'm not responsible for your outcome. I'm only responsible as a politician, as a congressman, to make sure that the playing field is set. Then it's on you to achieve the results you want. If you don't achieve them, it's not my fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's your fault. And justice for all is when it comes to victimless crimes, civil asset forfeiture, qualified immunity, and that. All right, hey, Jeff, justice Jeff, Jeff, I, I got I to cut off the stump speech. This is beautiful, but I got to interrupt because I want to give you a chance to wrap up on two specific questions. I want to point out to the audience, Jeff is clearly someone who's put in the hustle. I've, I've met him a couple times in person. He came out just to be friendly with the party to the California State Libertarian Party Convention. All the way, came all the way up to where were we? Visalia, California. Yep. And uh, he's got the hustle. He's got the commitment. He's got the veteran box checked. And he carries himself well as a veteran, as a candidate, I think, without being intimidating or, or abrasive like I can be. He's, 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 uh, he, he has a he, good, good dog face army boy to put out <laughs> and talk to civilians. Uh, but uh, a candidate worth investing in. So, Jeff, I want I want you to ask to, to, to end with two very quick elevator pitches. One, first, 
to your to your voters. And then I'm going to ask you to pitch to the to the movement as to why we should support you. So 30 seconds elevator pitch to voters in your district. Go to the people in Scottsdale in the great congressional sixth district. I'm going to be for pro second amendment. I believe Arizona's gun law should become the law of the land. I believe in economic freedom, get government out of the business of regulating businesses and let businesses truly succeed or fail on their own criminal justice reform. As I mentioned, civil asset forfeiture, qualified immunity, victimless crime laws gone. And finally, immigration reform. Even though it may not be a popular libertarian position, I do have to understand that I live in a district that does have an immigration issue. I believe in border security, but I believe in a quick pathway to citizenship for the best and brightest. Time. Okay. Time. Finish the the sentence with rhythm, man. Come on. (laughs) Okay. Basically, if you marry someone who's here illegally, it shouldn't take 10 years for them to get their green card. You should be able to get it within a year. It should be a very thing be able to pass the basic constitution test, green card, six months, residency, another six months citizenship. All right, you're over time. You're over time. I know. I mean, you're getting into a tricky issue here. I know this is important for your voters, and I do like that you are connecting libertarian ideas through meaningful policy. So now stick to time, 30 seconds. Why should libertarians support your candidacy? Libertarians should support my candidacy for the simple reason is I'm pragmatic. I understand that we have to move gradually because humans don't respond well to sudden abrupt changes. We panic. So we need to move slowly and incrementally because that's how we can get change. If we bring people in on certain issues that they agree on, they can, we can get more and more people together and we can create a final mass that is enough to bring the change that really libertarians want, which is maximum freedom with maximum personal responsibility. And that's why I'm the candidate. Awesome. Awesome, Jeff. No, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes out of this. Being a veteran in my home state of Arizona, I will be following your race. Website URL. It's great. I love this. Winwithjeff.us. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Adam. You have a great day and happy Memorial Day. Indeed. All right. Okay. With just a few minutes left in the show. If, if Ed is backstage, pop Ed up here, and uh, let's get Ed and Steve to, to wrap up this comment contest. Uh, before we go, Ed, you know, we've only got a few minutes left in the show. Did you have any critical thoughts you wanted to contribute to uh, the conversation of racism or sexism in the military or the retreat happening here this weekend? Uh, yes, I went to high school in the 70s, 72 to 76, and... I experienced more racism in high school than I did in the military itself. I really did. I went through four years of junior ROTC, Reserved Officers Training Corps, and as a Hispanic and a smart Hispanic, knowing what's going on, dedicated to, you know, the Army itself, learning everything there was and just a thousand percent through I didn't advance like I would have had I been white with a white senior army instructor and a white battalion commander. So yeah, fair enough. Well, we continue to progress. Thank you for sharing your perspective on this, Ed. Uh, any, uh, any? Did anybody best Patrick on the comment contest? 
No, no way. Because he's. Uh, do you have? Can you pop it back up, or do you write it down? Uh, yeah, I'll find go it. way back and find Patrick's comment. It was such a good proposal for what he would do to get on the show that I do not want to see him do it. We are going to give him membership in the producers club and not ask him to hit a bong and a thong singing a country song. So I have a question for Patrick. What country song would you be singing? All right. That's that's the that's the thing, right? I need to know what country song it would be. All right. We'll see if we get that in the last couple of minutes here. Steve, Ed, any final thoughts today? Oh, no. I'm good. I'm happy. Oh, wait, was Life that, is that great. Hold on. Was that another comment? No, that wasn't it. I, oh, that I was, was trying one. to find it. That wasn't it. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Ed. Wrap it up. I said, uh, life is great, and I can't top that. Life is really good right now. I mean, I've been working my butt off. We're getting ready for this retreat and people are coming in and I'm just, my heart is full of love for everybody and I can't wait for them all to get here. And it's just, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Excellent. Steve, your Patrick, last thoughts today. Patrick, country boy can survive. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> all that's right. It. That's it. Steve, Ed, thank you for your service this morning. Let's get to Jim for producer notes. You're too polite, executive producer. You have muted yourself. Now you're good. Go for it. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, thank you for watching the show. Please don't forget to join us at our Telegram public channel. Everyone's welcome. T.me forward slash Adam versus the man. Uh, if you want to be cool like Patrick and join access to the private producers club, you can do so. You can buy your way through our Patreon, Adam versus the man. <coughs> Once you're a Producers Club member, you can get 15% off free shipping on everything at the store. Don't forget to visit CigarFederation.com where you can use promo code ADAM10 to get 10% off all your goods there. Instagram tag is at the Garden of Freedom, so you can see everything going on up in Gardenia. The Crypto 6 still needs your help, so please visit them and check them out. Click all the buttons. And GoGreenEnergyOnline.com is waiting on you to educate yourself on solar and wind and do it yourself. All right. Thank you so much. Executive producer Jim Freedom. Now, before we get to the good news, I come back to this last story. Um, it was on this day in 2021 that Piers Morgan used Demi Lovato to skewer celebrity bullshit with this tweet. Some personal news. I am proud to let you know that I identify as an annoying attention seeking celebrity. This has come after a lot of self reflective work, but it's my truth and lived experience. So for all the bullshit you have given us, this doesn't redeem you, but Piers, thank you for sharing that little bit of brilliance and skewering of celebrity culture. <clears throat> it was also, according to goodnewsnetwork.org on this day in history, 27 years ago today, the Nobel Prize winning author Alexander Solzhenitsyn flew back to his native Russia after 20 years of exile in the United States. The 75-year-old was given an emotional homecoming, greeted by 2,000 people, bearing flowers and gifts, imprisoned by Stalin for 10 years for political dissent. Solzhenitsyn was later stripped of his citizenship and expelled from the Soviet Union in 1974 
for attacking the regime in the Gulag Archipelago, the book. In 1990, Mikhail Gorbachev restored his citizenship and treason charges against him were dropped. That was on this day in 1994. And I hope that story gives hope for all political prisoners, especially those suffering like Ross Albrecht. And with that, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.